Hi, this is Jill Jarris. From September 2017 through April 2020, this podcast was known as Olympic Fever. We've since changed its name to keep the flame alive, but we're committed to keeping our back catalog available to you. So please keep the name change and this disclaimer in mind as you listen to it. Olympic is a trademark of the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee, or USOPC. Any use of Olympic in the Olympic Fever podcast is strictly for informational and commentary purposes. The Olympic Fever podcast is not an official podcast of the USOPC. The Olympic Fever podcast is not a sponsor of the USOPC, nor is Olympic Fever associated with or endorsed by the USOPC in any way. The content of Olympic Fever podcast does not reflect the opinions, standards, views, or policies of the USOPC, and the USOPC in no way warrants that content featured in Olympic Fever is accurate. Thanks for listening, and now on to the show. Hi, this is Jill Jarris. From September 2017 through April 2020, this podcast was known as Olympic Fever. We've since changed its name to keep the flame alive, but we're committed to keeping our back catalog available to you. So please keep the name change and this disclaimer in mind as you listen to it. Olympic is a trademark of the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee, or USOPC. Any use of Olympic in the Olympic Fever podcast is strictly for informational and commentary purposes. The Olympic Fever podcast is not an official podcast of the USOPC. The Olympic Fever podcast is not a sponsor of the USOPC, nor is Olympic Fever associated with or endorsed by the USOPC in any way. The content of Olympic Fever podcast does not reflect the opinions, standards, views, or policies of the USOPC, and the USOPC in no way warrants that content featured in Olympic Fever is accurate. Thanks for listening, and now on to the show. As is the theme with the with luge, everything is skin tight. Mesdames et messieurs, the greatest festival of our contemporary society, the Olympic Games, is about to begin. This is going to be close. Oh! You can do it! You can do it! Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant! But that is an Olympic champion. Hello and welcome to Olympic Fever. I am your host, Jill Jers, joined as always by the lovely Allison Brown. Hello, Allison. How are you? Hello, Jill. I'm a little wintry today. Yeah. Very cold, very snowy. It is very yeah. cold. We actually, you know, it's winter in New England for sure, and that gets me excited. Uh, you know, you think about snow and ice, and today we are sticking with ice sports in the snow and talking about luge. Today we're talking to Shiva Keshavan, who is an Olympic luger from India. Shiva has the distinction of being India's first winter Olympian when he went to the 1998 Games in Nagano. And he was also the youngest luger in the Olympics at the time, too. Yeah, he was 16. It was incredible. Unbelievable. The, yeah, to not only be from a country who has no, at the time, had no tradition of winter sports and be able to make his way into the games. And then he's been in, he's just qualified for Pyeongchang. So he will be going to Olympics number six. So 
We're really excited to have him. And let's take a listen to what Shiva had to say. So the Olympic crash was amazing. Yeah, that was, and that was, it was, it was uh, incredible because that was the first televised run in India, you know? Oh, wow. People had never seen it before. And, uh, and, and I had no idea they were watching it. And it was, uh, it was in, in official training. It was just a few runs before the, the actual race. And I reached the finish and, you know, people started going crazy, calling me. The, the International Federation were getting calls, you know, inquiring if I was okay. And it's like, it's, you know, and crashes can happen like on a, you know, not on a daily basis, but on a weekly or monthly basis, you do have a crash. And, uh, and this, suddenly everybody saw this. And <laughs> I think that is when people started getting, uh, starting to follow, <laughs> follow it more. Well, it was... And one of the things Jill and I talked about, what does anything go through your head in that moment? Or is it just physical reaction? Uh, while you're crashing, you mean? Yes. Well, because you not only crashed, you got back on and kept going. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's, uh, yeah, there's, um, it, is, it happens really quickly. And, uh, of course, um, letting go of the sled is something that I never do because, it's it's it can get dangerous if you let go on the sled of the sled and you go and uh, hit the sled or the sled hits you, uh, you know you can get injured or or the sled can break uh, when it's out of control and you know I just have one sled so I don't want that to happen and uh, and also uh, you know it's uh, it's it's kind of easier to slide with a sled than without it so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so so yeah the natural instinct is is to hang on and uh, you know just to just to continue and make the best of what is left you know i think that's that's the way i I kind of approach things well we'll have to post a link to that video because that is amazing to me just and you just kept going like okay that's fine so so let's let's talk a little bit about the the technical aspect of luge uh equipment wise you have a sled that's got Mm -hmm. um they call the the runners steels right um yeah there's a sled which is made of uh uh, let's say three or four main components. Uh, one is the shell or the pod, which is the part which we actually sit on, which is the seat. You know? um, then um, there are uh, the kufans uh, that um, kufans that that are there are kind of two skis which are under the sled with the horns at the end where you rest your feet on. And under the kufans, the the steels are attached. So the steels and kufans we, together we call them runners. And um, and then another component is the bridges, which which connect the each of the kufan to the to the shell and to each other, which kind of ties the whole, whole sled together. So it looks it's much more complex than it looks because it just it looks so sim- simple, exactly. especially on television. But it's it's actually quite technical. It looks very simple, and it is very simple in a way. But there's a lot of uh, mechanics involved. You know, it, it's uh, it's simple yet complicated because you know, for example, aerodynamics. Is a very complicated thing, and to get that to work, uh, people still haven't figured it out. Even though they are spending hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, on, on R&D every year, uh, the kufans also are, are complicated because uh, you're looking for things like, uh, you know, absorbing the vibration, keeping it flexible enough, uh, and things like that. So similarly with the steels, what are the more high-performance steels that you can use in various conditions? And this is not even getting into the things like the geometry, uh, the edge, the the bow of the steel. So there's a lot uh, to be, uh, you know, to be worked on on a sled. And you have one sled because I imagine this is an expensive 
yes, I have uh, I have one sled. I have, uh, but luckily I have an extra set of coupons, so I was able to uh, switch. Uh, I had my last year set of coupons that I could use again this week. Uh, otherwise, uh, one set I broke in uh, in Calgary because of just simply because of the stress. You know, there's a lot of g-force, a lot of uh, bumps on the track. And some of these new materials, they they stress and they crack easily. They're not really built to last, and which is which is something that I'm finding out right now. But they're built to go faster. They're built. No, that's the whole focus of it is to go faster. Right, rather than longevity, its speed. Yes, exactly. How how do you travel with the sled? Well, it's it's always a challenge. I mean, the bigger teams they ship the sleds, and um, and that is expensive. So I can't afford that. And so what I do is I, I dismantle the sled and uh, I have one big uh, bag in which the shell goes in. Okay. And then I have a, I have a snowboard bag where uh, some of my other clothes and the, the coupons and runner, the runners go in. So I, I kind of check it in as a snowboard because people, to avoid asking, answering the questions, the check-in, what's the luge and things like that. So I just say it's a snowboard. <laughs> so you just check this on the plane? I do. I do. I, I split it up and I, I put it in, in bags and, and check it in. Okay. Has it ever gotten lost? Uh, no, not okay. yet. Okay. Now I said it. Now I said it. I'm sorry. <laughs> Uniform-wise, you have a suit and booties and special gloves and a helmet that's got a face mask thing, right? Exactly. There's the, the, there's the helmet and the face mask, which is the, I mean, the only real protection we have. Everything else is uh, built for speed, uh, although the suit uh, is made out of a fire retardant uh, fabric. So you can't have suits made of rubber that they used to uh, time, like in our years in the past, they used to have latex and rubber suits, but they would burn as soon as you had any friction, any, uh, if you touch the wall, they would, they would catch fire. So, uh, so the <laughs> so the suits are built a little bit, you know, as as fire retardants, and um, and the shoes are the booties are the shoes. They're um, they're also like ballerinas, you know. They point your toes and and give you that aerodynamic shape. Ah, okay. Oh, so so it for so it's like a ski boot that forces your foot in a particular position. Uh, exactly, exactly. It just keeps your toes pointed, pointed down. Huh. Interesting. So it's not just muscle; it's actually the equipment is helping you is helping to as be well. as. Oh, that's I interesting. Mean, as, as the sport has been evolving, the equipment has been, uh, you know, he uh, helping the athletes do do their job, and uh, and you can really see it, uh, especially in in the in the average age of athletes. When I, when I started, all the medalists were in their late thirties, were in their forties. You know, there was Zugler, Demchenko. Uh, Proc, uh, Hackle, all these people—they were—they they were quite in a, quite advanced to the uh, in the years. Whereas now uh, you have a lot of uh, younger kids coming and doing really well because I think the experience and the equipment have have kind of the straight off. So the more the equipment, uh, the better equipment they're using, the more important the, the physical aspects of it is becoming. Like the start, uh, you know, it's playing more of an important role than the actual experience that used to be the number one thing. Huh. So now, so being stronger and more physically fit out mm -hmm. and with the better equipment then outweighs those, those technicalities that experience brought. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. There's a kind of trade off, you know, I, so, 
so but now you're you're able to see younger people uh, reach the podium whereas earlier in luge it used to take a lot more time to to reach that level so now the old people are gone from the sport so yeah sochi, <laughs> uh, i mean um, the last olympics uh, sochi was when uh, uh, Armin and, and Albert, they, they won two medals, of course, before retiring, but they were 40 and 41. And now the new generation of medalists, they are in the early 20s, so it's almost half the age. Yeah, very different. Uh, you're in your 30s? I'm, in, I'm 36. You're 36. It's so nice because we've talked to so many athletes where I'm like, I'm old enough to be their mother. I'm so <laughs> <laughs> This is such a relief. I'm like, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm 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 old enough to be the father of many athletes over here. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're... yeah. Do they call you like Grandpa, or what? Do they have a nickname for you? Uh, no, no. Actually, people are still surprised when I say I'm 36. I don't know uh, how they. <laughs> so I, I I think I'm I'm flying under the radar a little bit right now. Talk to us about the gloves really quick. What what is it like to wear these spiky gloves on your hands? And um, do you? So the... So the gloves are a little bit, they are um, uh, skin tight, uh, as is the theme with, uh, with Luge, everything is skin tight. And, uh, but that's, that's so you have uh, more control and it just becomes like a second skin. And uh, on the tips of, uh, of, of these three fingers, you have, um, you have hardened, uh, hardened spikes. Okay, so which, they're only on three fingers. Only on three fingers, because they're the three longest fingers and, uh, you know, for, for, for more reach. And it's also the three strongest fingers, so uh, that way you're gonna you're you're able to reach uh, forward, uh, anchor them into the ice, uh, pull uh, pull yourself, you know, propel yourself forward by pulling and then pushing on the back. So you try to keep as long a contact period as you can with the ice, so you use it to get that initial push, and you only have that chance uh, in the in the first ten meters of the course, you know. As you, you, you have to paddle faster than your sled speed, otherwise you're counterproductive. And once you've settled in the sled, after the start, you're not allowed to touch the spikes on the ice anymore. So if you, uh, you're not allowed to paddle, if you crash, you can't paddle across the finish line, that would disqualify you. So the only time you can do it is at the start. Yeah, we were joking before about if anyone's ever poked themselves with the spikes. It happens all the time. Does it? <laughs> it happens all the time. These spikes are actually digging into your thighs, and so um, I, I, I use a small pad uh, that uh, you know to, to to save my skin. Other, but uh, you know, it, it sometimes because of the G force, it even goes through the pad, and and you you feel that. And um, and not just that. When you're when you're holding the handles, uh, sometimes you spike the fingers, and it's a very common, uh, it's a, almost a daily occurrence. You see athletes who spike their fingers, and you know, bleeding from. I've got lo lots of uh, lots of small marks on my fingers here because you know they get they get spiked that way. So the spikes are quite gnarly, yes. And even in the bag, sometimes <laughs> you're just reaching into your bag. And, Ow! It's <laughs> a spike. <laughs> that would be me. Let's be honest. <laughs> So what what does your fitness need to be like in order to be in, on the world stage? Um, okay, well, uh, I mean, since we're talking about the start, the start is one of the most important things. And uh, for the start, you need to have um, a very explosive uh, kind of, you know, uh, physicality to it. It's, it's almost like, uh, you know, 
even 100 meters is too long. It's like a 40 meter sprinter, you know, because in those meters you want to you know, really explode out of the handles. Uh, at the same time, you want a certain amount of flexibility because the posture you need to um, have on the start uh, enables you to use your long arms and to, to keep the contact, you know, in, in the right uh, for the right amount of time. So it's a combination of explosivity and uh, and elasticity, let's say. All right. If you notice the start, we 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 kind of uh, it, there's a rubber band effect because we we first go in a full stretch, which we call the compression, and when you release from that compression, you get the uh, you get a rubber band effect from from your lower back. And that gives you the initial momentum, and then you build on it with your muscles by pulling and pushing on the handle. And then you have to do these really quick and powerful paddles on the ice. So uh, that is as far as the start is concerned. So for that, you do um, you know a lot of uh, high intensity, basically uh, uh, high power, uh, high uh, high weight, and and very fast exercises in the gym you know to prepare for that uh, that specific motion and um, you usually do a lot of specific exercises because uh, muscle memory is is uh, is limited to what motion you're doing so you have to repeat that exact same motion over and over again uh, with the load that you that you need to to be able to train yourself you know so so that, that's as far as the start is start is concerned. Then, then for the rest of the track, of course, you're lying down. Uh, there, you need a quick reaction time to uh, to negotiate the corners. You know, so you do uh, you do coordination exercises, balance these kind of things. And uh, and the G-force is is one of the most uh, significant, let's say, things that we feel in the track. And um, you know, our, our our neck and head is completely out of the sled, so you you, you have a lot of pressure. Uh, on your head, so your neck uh, uh, needs to ha be well trained, and you need to have a strong core so that you can, uh, you know, you can still move and uh, and react in those G forces. So I think that kind of sums up the the, wow. the regimen. Wow, that's amazing! And talking about the curves, one of the videos I was watching, you were talking about improving the curve. So what I mean, when you when you learn a course or when you're looking at a course. Uh, I also saw you doing a lot of visualization of bef before you race. So how do you learn a course and how do you improve on on curves and things when when you're dealing with g-forces and gravity? Uh, well, yes, it's a, it's like a strategy which you have to come up with on how to negotiate a corner. Um, there are certain, uh, let's say, general knowledge uh, things on the circuit that everybody would know. Uh, what are the key factors of this corner? Uh, let's say if it's a if it's a really long corner, it generally will have two spots where the g-force uh, would be high, and then in the middle there's there's less g-force. So uh, you want to have a nice and even line along the corner. Uh, if you if you if you do a loop, then you're adding meters, and uh, and you're losing a lot of g-force, so you're losing the potential to generate speed. So the the basic is. Uh, to to steer while you're under the g-force because the g-force wants to keep on sending you in your initial direction so keep on going straight and you'd climb the corner so rather than climb that's when you steer and and you have and, and you create uh, the rainbow you know that that you're that you're that you're taking to to negotiate a corner and, and that pressure is going to carry you across the low pressure area so you you don't dip and you have a straight line and the same concept applies to the exit of the corners. So when you're uh, when you're steering and capturing this G-force, you kind of release it in a forward direction on the exit, and you lay back and you get a little bit of a push out of it, and and you generate some speed. 
So that's and, amazing. And, and you know, obviously, there 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 can be more than one way to to negotiate one corner, and that depends on uh, athlete's preference. Uh, some people take the uh, you know want to do the shorter line. Some people want to do the safer line. Some some people uh, you know want to get the kick out of the corner. So you have to you have to trap the pressure in a different way, and also it depends on how your equipment responds. So talking about the equipment, I know you and Jill were talking about the micro cracks. Mm-hmm. I guess so. Those I I assume are just what they sound like, little tiny. How do you deal with that on the on the the luge itself? Like how do you uh, repair that? Well, it is uh, it's very difficult because uh, usually, let's say the the more traditional uh, sets of of kufans are made with a wood core. Uh, and wood is a really good material when it comes to flexibility and absorbing uh, vibration. Uh, even uh, you know, even some much more technological sports, let's say like skiing, that has a lot more money invested in the in the technology behind the ski. Many of them actually have a, a core made of wood, you know, and then it's layered with various other materials, you know, depending on what they want to get out of it. So uh, traditionally, it's been uh, it's been a wooden kufun, and then it's wrapped. With uh, with fiberglass that gives it, uh, you know, a little bit of uh, a little bit of strength. And uh, and if you're breaking, if you break a kufen, uh, you generally you you wrap more layers of fiberglass around it, or maybe put some metal plates in, in to hold it in, in place. But it will never be the same as the original kufen. Uh, now a lot of people are getting into uh, new materials. Uh, some people are getting into kinds of uh, foam that they're using to make the kufens. Uh, so you know it, it has uh, you know properties that that allow them to get more speed, but they are also more fragile, and, and it's also more difficult to uh, to you know to repair. Like I was getting into some plastics for my kufans, which I was using in uh, uh, in Calgary, and once those things crack, there's you know there's no way you can really repair it, and um, and always you'll you'll always uh, form like the the weakest. Uh, the weakest part of, of, of the kufun, which will, which will break again. And if you uh, if you repair that, then you'll go to the next weakest link and the next weakest link. So that kufun is basically basically gone. That, that's what happened in, in my case. So um, there, there's still no perfect material. There's there's a lot of experimenting going on. And, um, and you know, as we were saying, there's, many of these things are built to go fast, but not to last. When you're in a race and you, you figured out ahead of time the lines you want to take if that doesn't work out mid-race like say you got a corner and you went you're like oh i hit that wrong how mm-hmm. can you adjust uh you can always adjust and that's where the experience and the instinct let's say comes in and and um, that's why we try to go to all these tracks and have many runs on the track so you know how to react when something goes wrong you know for example if you're really high on the end of a corner you know that you're gonna come out and, and slam the opposite wall. So before you come out of the corner, you have to what we call a rollback. You know, you have to counter steer the sled to make sure you're countering that direction and you're you're coming out in the place that you want. So so similarly, if you're having if you're having a loop in a curve and you miss the first steering, then to avoid the dip, you're trying to hold the sled up and uh, you know steer it against uh, the natural the natural flow of the sled. But all the all these decisions have to be really really quick. And uh, and sometimes uh, you can get away with just letting the sled run with minor imperfections, 
And because if you're if you're constantly steering the sled all the time, you're constantly slowing yourself down. You're cutting ice and things like that. So there's a balance of really letting the sled run and building as much momentum as you can, uh, versus having the perfect line. So there's there, there's always uh, limited gains on either end of the spectrum, and you want to have a decent line, but you also don't want to oversteer the sled. So what are you have you seen the uh, track in Pyeongchang? Uh, I have seen it. I've I've been for the the training week uh, this this fall. And what and do you think? It's a very very exciting track. It's I think it's a unique track. Um, they've built it, uh, you know, to have uh, to give a new twist, let's say, to the sport. And um, I think it'll be very interesting because it's a track that uh, not everybody is uh, very used to. We all had the same amount of runs, limited amount of runs over there, and. Uh, you know that that's going to add an extra element of uh, of excitement to it, and it's also technical. You know, you you get you get to a high speed really really early on in the course. Uh, the curve two is a curve to watch out for. You, the you you go really really high in curve two, very close to the boards, and um, and that's something that uh, that can unnerve a few people. Uh, you know, especially uh, so so early on in the track that you're getting so much height in the curve and so much speed. Mm, it also has uh, three uh, uphill sections hmm. and uh, the uphill sections means that if you make a mistake before the uphill section it, it drains your momentum and then it's very much uh, that much more difficult to make up that momentum again and uh, and and also it's uh, another very interesting feature in in korea is that the, the straightaway on the exit of the curve is not necessarily in the direction that the curve wants to send you once you exit it so you have to make corrections on the straightaway which is um, which is very difficult for uh, for loose because it's always good to steer when you're under pressure under g-force in the corners, but in the straightaway when you don't have that pressure, it's very difficult to steer and you feel weightless, and uh, you know that uh, it, it can <laughs> it can start a lot of uh, interesting reactions. Do you expect a lot of crashing in Korea? Um, not necessarily crashing, uh, but uh, definitely there's not going to be many clean runs. In in luge, I mean, of the sliding sport we're used to, people uh, doing the whole course without even touching the wall once. You know, you try you try to go for perfection. Uh, but in Korea, there's going it's going to force people to make a lot of mistakes. And so I think if somebody can have four consist consistent runs, uh, whereas you know one perfect run and one uh, run with some problems here and there, uh, consistency I think will be the key. That sounds that sounds more fun. Yeah, definitely, and for for the spectators, they'll be it'll be it'll be fun because they'll be able to uh, uh, see uh, you know the difference and in, in, in driving, and and they'll be able. Otherwise, you know, the the level is so high that sometimes uh, it's uh, the athletes make it make it look so easy uh, that uh, for for spectators, different difficult to you know differentiate you know the the difference between some of these athletes. Whereas in Korea, it's going to be exciting to watch. How how do the different tracks compare? Do you have a, a favorite track, or do you like oh I like this curve and in, in the track in Lake Placid, or you know uh, we've heard we talked to bobsledders and they said Whistler was uh, very scary. It was a really fast track. Um, so what what are the tracks around the world like? Each track has has its own unique features. Definitely, there's no two same tracks. There are a few types of tracks. Uh, I mean, uh, 
uh, right now because of uh, sports like bobsled and and luge do, uh, being on the same course a lot of the a lot of the tracks are are turning into what we call in luge gliding tracks you know uh, with uh, with really open big corners and uh, whereas whereas luge is a lot more maneuverable uh, than a bob and you can even uh, uh, go on tracks that have really tight corners and there's a lot of driving involved uh, so let's say the 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 driving tracks or the or the gliding tracks you know they they have different characteristics in curves and and, and material equipment things like that some of the some of the uh, traditionally loose tracks are are really really uh, interesting and challenging and, uh, and 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 i like these ones you know track, tracks like lake placid uh, tracks like Königsee, uh, oberhof you know these tracks are are a lot more fun uh, on the luge, but uh, since it's difficult for the bob to get past these tight corners, now you're having tracks that are are open and they're concentrating on other things like speed and uh, you know rather than a lot of twists and turns. Yeah, Whistler is, I think, still when I was doing the reading, is still the fastest track both for bob and luge. Whistler, yes, yes, Whistler yes. Is, uh, is definitely. I mean, it was built to be the fastest tracks. And um, and and Korea, uh, it it has the potential to be fast, but they've they've added these three uphill sections to check the maximum speed. So it has it probably has a faster average speed, but it doesn't have uh, that fast of a peak speed, which uh, you know sometimes uh, that that gets out of hand. You know, a lot of people have uh, have difficulty catching up, and especially those. Uh, two, three bottom corners where they come at you so fast, and especially if you're having a problem going into those corners, uh, the speed, you know, seems even faster than what it is. So if you're if you're having a smooth line, it seems nice and smooth and slow, but if you're always trying to catch up, uh, playing catch up with the problems, then uh, the speed the speed feels even faster. Yeah, well, it terrifies me to watch, so I can't say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I think it's exciting. I I really like luge. I like it, but it scares me. I'm going to, you know, I watch with what, you know, sort of one hand you know, behind because I was like, yeah. I remember it took my mother about five years to start watching the sport. She would, she would even when she would put her in front of the television, she would do that. When <laughs> my friend came, it was pointless. And now, now she watches because, you know, she's kind of gotten used to it and she knows that. Yeah, the, the two, the two mother things, pride and fear kind of. Exactly. You know, tip, tip either way. And my mother was actually with me uh, the first year I started luge. She she traveled with me. I was a minor at that time. I was I was, I was fourteen. And she she came to Austria. And there was two of us from India at that time. There was me and there was there was another kid from Delhi. And um and he actually had a crash during that training run. And uh, and and you know he had a concussion. He, he passed out for a little bit. And she had to ride with him. And the ambulance to the to the to the hospital, and then so that <laughs> that caused a little trauma, and so for a few years she she refused to watch after that. <laughs> I was surprised it was only two years. Have you had uh, concussions, other injuries that um, have been uh, tough to uh, get back from? Uh, no injuries that have been really tough to get back from. Uh, I've not had uh, long periods of um, of absence due to injury. I uh, I don't uh, I've not had a, a concussion either. I've never passed out on the track. Um, I've broken a few bones and uh, I've had um, you know a few compression uh, fractures. I'm dealing with um, 
with a kind of a herniated uh, disc issue right now on my uh, on my upper back but it's not it's not really bad and i can still uh, continue but uh, <laughs> but yeah luckily this is like my last probably my last year so this. so so six this is number six right this is number six yes so six is enough uh, yeah i think so I've, I've, i'm quite satisfied <laughs> And also, it's um, uh, you know, in India, it's not so easy because you don't uh, you don't have the facilities. You have to go and do everything right. on your own. You don't have the financial support. You don't have the coaching staff. Um, and so, th- there's a lot to do. And you know, of course, it, you waste a lot of uh, time and resources doing things which are not typically uh, training or typically things to make you go faster. And so, there's a lot of time loss over there. And uh, you know, at a certain point. I have to dedicate some time to my family as well, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I have, a, I have a little girl, and, and she's she's trying to miss me. So I got to. How old is she? She's uh, she's almost three, two years and ten months. That's pretty fabulous. Yeah. But what a legacy she has. Yeah, I, mean, I hope that's uh, it's, amazing. It's, yeah, it's nice. I hope she can, uh, you know. When uh, she, she'll have an answer soon enough, because now she keeps on asking me, "Where are you? Why, not, why are you not here?" You know, the first few sentences she can say, and oh. she asks me these things. So, so at least I can show her videos, and I, I, I tell her I'm doing luge, and so she already knows what luge is, <laughs> which is pretty cool. Now, you've been doing this for a very long time, and have you seen winter sports in India growing? Have you seen a, a big change? Mm, actually, uh, I'm quite disappointed that there's not been a lot of growth. Uh, in fact, um, there, I remember there were a lot more winter sports athletes in India when I was a kid. Uh, and um, because we've not really had, you know, the, the development of, uh, of facilities has, uh, is, has kind of uh, frustrated a lot of uh, young athletes. And also a lot of issues in our sports system, like uh, like corruption, nepotism, things like that. They frustrated a lot of uh, you know really good athletes. And I remember when I was a kid, we would um, we didn't have any ski lifts. And when I started skiing and and, and sliding when I was when I was young, we would uh, there would be 40, 50 of us. We would hit the slopes after the snowfall. We would manually beat the slope. And, uh, and, and, you know, we would, would, we would walk up and then have a run and then walk up and have a second run in the afternoon. And that was it. And we would do this, you know, every day. And uh, there was a, all this passion was there. And then uh, uh, and now where we have the capabilities to, to make all these things, to make uh, ski lifts, to make, uh, you know, tracks and to, have, to hold competitions, it's not really being done. So that is frustrating a lot of people. And, uh, you know. So I hope that after this, maybe that's that's uh, part of my role is to go and make sure that uh, you know there's some kind of development to the sport. I, I'd expect it in, in 20 years. In fact, I didn't I didn't think it would take so long. I, I thought in 10 years already we would have a lot of facilities and a bigger team and things like that. But that's not happened. So I'll, I'll I think it's it's partly up to me now to go and uh, you know get into the sport development aspect. Which is. Uh- makes me think of uh sochi when you had to walk under under the uh, olympic flag at least for the opening ceremonies because of the issues with the indian olympic committee what what was that like for you not being able to walk in under the indian flag uh well you know it is is very disappointing because uh you have um i've had to deal with all these kind of issues during my entire 
years and international events and Olympic Games despite all of this. And, uh, and then having these things reach a, reach a certain level, uh, which also hampered me to, uh, you know, to take my country's name or to carry my country's flag. So that just shows that how big of a problem it was. And, uh, and it still is, in fact. So, um, so, but, you know, I think the, um, all that action from the IOC it started a process of change. Uh, I don't think it's uh, it's near enough because um, you know because there, there are a lot of issues in our sport, but uh, they're also positive signs. You know, right now we have a, we have a new sports minister in India, who's uh, who's an Olympian and who's an Olympic medalist. So this is the first time we actually have a sportsman in charge of sports. And and you know although the the sports ministry is completely separate from uh, from the Olympic uh, committees and from the national sports federations, I hope this uh, you know starts. A process of involving more uh, athletes into in sports administration. What is about? Uh, I'm, I'm the only luge athlete, and I'm probably the only one who, who understands the sport. But you have a lot of other people running it, so you know you you need to get um, get actual know-how, or at least collaborate with people who have the experience or the know-how to you know make a make a positive difference. And now the Russians will be marching under the Olympic flag. So, yes, I mean that, that's also an, a, a very important issue. I think um, in in sports, uh, you know, f- fair play is uh, w- without fair play, it just kind of defeats the purpose of, of having a competition. And um, and and you know, fair play makes sure that uh, there is mutual respect between the countries. You know, you you, you knit close together as a family and in the absence of that you know there's a kind of a betrayal so so obviously it is a very important thing and the IOC had to take a very I think that the idea that not everybody should be uh, sanctioned because of of the wrongdoings of of, of somebody else so they they gave them an option to to represent uh, not only themselves but Russia as well because I think the way they will be called is Olympic athletes from Russia rather than yes. independent Olympic participant like I was in, in Sochi. So so that's a good thing. And it's also good that um, uh, from what I've heard that Russia is allowing them to participate and they're not doing things like boycotting the games and things like that. So this lays the foundation of, you know, coming back into the mainstream and, you know, getting accepted in the sports fraternity again. How have the Olympics changed since you've been involved or what, I mean, your first Olympics, you're all by yourself. It's Nagano. And then mm-hmm. they've gotten bigger and added more events. But how, how has the experience changed for you over the years? Um, well, as um, I mean, the first, my first Olympics is the most memorable one because my first impact with, uh, you know, with the Olympic Games and, and with this international, you know, brotherhood of, uh, uh, of athletes. And uh, that was the biggest takeaway for me. That, for me, that you know, I made so many new friends, and it was so easy uh, to approach and talk to uh, with somebody else. You know, is uh, uh, you know, is across across the sports, across the board. So that, that that's something great. And um, each Olympics has been different because, of course, each country adds its own flavor to the games. The, I mean, Japan was special. Japan is a you know really unique country, and I, I love it over there. But uh, but everywhere else, you know, in, in Italy, in in the U.S., in in, in Canada, 
you you could see uh, part of the history of that country and uh, and what that country thought about its history and about its sports and about its hospitality and uh, so you know in a way because sometimes we feel that we are training all these remote locations with no interaction with the country itself but the olympic games brings all that in you know and uh, and that's great because you you understand that you're not just racing against the clock for 50 seconds but you're part of something bigger and you're creating you know a, an international culture for excellence and for you know uh, fair competition and things like that 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 makes you feel uh, more gratified i think you know and do you have a favorite uh well nagano is my favorite <laughs> i mean um that's always stayed with me but um but but i remember each and every each and every olympic games has has had its defining its defining moments and i think it's really cool that after after 20 20 some years i'm i'm going back to asia almost to where i started for the last games yeah now will your wife and daughter be coming with you uh we are trying to make that happen yes i hope they they are there to see me <laughs> that makes me so happy <laughs> because i mean you were a child yourself the first time around you were so young absolutely absolutely and so many times i've been circle. traveling and, and competing without you know my family being able the people i really care about you know, to be able to be there and, and and share this experience so so i hope that they can make it this time yeah we really appreciate your time Good luck. We're rooting for you. Yeah. Safe Absolutely. Trip. Thank you. And and I I think I'm following you on on social media. So I'll uh seeing this We will let you yeah. know retweet us. Yeah, yeah, we'll be we'll be in touch. We'll be in touch on social. Excellent. Yeah. Thank, Thank you so much. much. Yeah. Appreciate it. Take care. Take care. Bye. I'm going to take him home with me. I know, me. right? That was fascinating. Like all the technical stuff we learned. I oh my gosh. Okay, I didn't want to say this to him, but I should have. I think for money cuz I know obviously the money is an issue with it. He needs to have a calendar. He is a very handsome man. <laughs> but I think saying to that to him would have been creepy. <laughs> So I'll just say it now. <laughs> no, he's a very good-looking man and these at I mean there's a video that he had posted to wish the summer athletes from India going to Rio good luck. Oh, so really? The gym working out and well we should find this repost. It's adorable because he's wishing them luck. He he is a very fit young man. Let's just oh, say that. Oh, I can that. imagine. I can imagine because you really have to be aerodynamic. to be on the sled. And did you love oh I have a compression I have a, a herniated disc it's fine. Yeah, I can still compete. The way, and we had the same conversation with Bradley and the same conversation with Sarah, right, Hendrickson? Yeah, for Sarah. How they deal with injuries is so amazing to me. Yeah, just the I, I'm going to bounce I, back. I think the dealing with injury truly is the difference between being, you know, even a good college level athlete and the Olympian. Yeah, and and, and mental is part of it because you have to believe you're going to bounce back and work and I I know it's got to be so frustrating. I mean, when Ben was talking with Emily Cook 
a few weeks ago and how how long it took her to get back from her injuries you know and it was a devastating injury to begin with because of the timing but you know just say okay yeah it's going to take me three years but somehow work through it and have the support system to work through it too and I think you know when we talk about support systems that's one of the amazing things to me is that Shiva is really competing with not much of a support system Right. He doesn't have a fed, much of a federation. He doesn't have all these sponsors. He doesn't have, like when we were talking to um, Nick Cunningham and he was talking about the car maker working with U.S. bobsled to build the sleds and Shiva's building his own sled. Right. And figuring out how it works. And yeah, he doesn't have that, you know, just even the transporting all of his own gear and figuring out how to do that on the cheap. Which it kills me because I'm sure there are other countries that are just like, well, you know, here's your federation. Let's pack up the gear and, you know, drop your gear off here and we'll pack it up for you and go. Right. I mean, just the and and it takes so much, you know, you have to burn so many more calories doing all of this stuff on your own and still competing right. at a world class level where, yeah, he's in the middle of the pack, but Dude's been able to qualify for six Olympics, and that's no joke in this sport. I mean, he's not getting a pass to this Olympics. He had to get the World Cup points. Right. Yeah, every it. time. And so he's been able to do that. I think he's doing phenomenal with what resources he has. And that's to me, it's just such a great story. And yeah. the the hope and positivity he brings to the sport and are you getting choked up? I am a little. Are you getting a little choked up? I'm getting a little overclumped. <laughs> so, Shiva's daughter, your dad is amazing. And it's hard for you to understand now why dad has to be away, but know that he's doing amazing, amazing stuff. I'm sure he's going to have some sports leadership position and be able to grow I sports. Hope so. I do too, because he just, you know, the the attitude and the ideas he has, just great. All right. Thank you so much, Shiva, and best of luck to you at Pyeongchang. We'll be rooting for you. Right, Allison? Absolutely. Team Shiva. The events in Luge are singles for both men and women and doubles for men, and then there's a team relay event. So I don't understand doubles Luge myself. And the interesting thing I discovered when we, when we were researching this was the larger person goes on top, the heavier person for aerodynamics it presses the poor little guy underneath just which seems counterintuitive right i would think the heavier person would go on the bottom like a cheerleader pyramid yeah right they'd be more stable yes so along with hurtling yourself down at 80 to 90 miles an hour you have this large man just laying on top of you which sounded really dirty <laughs> And not so much fun. And not so much fun. It, it just seems very uncomfortable. You know, they women don't do the double luge, and I don't know why. That's true. That's interesting. Uh, maybe they think it crushes their lady parts. Oh, we're not going to get into this again. <laughs> if any parts are getting crushed, it's the men parts. You would think, right? Why they think this yeah. would be a great idea. We're, we're going to lose our family-friendly rating if we keep having these discussions. Okay, I have um, 
a news piece from July 18, 2017. The International Luge Federation president, Josef Vent, confirmed that there will be no women's doubles races at the senior or junior level during the 2017-18 season. More work needed to be done before the discipline could be rolled out on the global circuit. So, but women's doubles was added to the program for the 2020 Youth Olympics, Winter Olympics. Okay. So I guess because they haven't had it, they have to have some ramp up in the lower levels until they can, because do you specialize Um, in singles or doubles? I guess. Yeah, you do. I think you do specialize in singles or doubles. Because for something, some reason in my brain, there is a, something's clicking that like one of the men's doubles teams is a, a pair of brothers, but I could be totally wrong about that. But the FIL president was quoted as saying, and he was quoted in Inside the Games, uh, as saying, our specialists in the technology and sporting commissions will be getting together to find proper solutions for the women's doubles competitions. I don't understand. Well, maybe it has to do with, remember when we were talking to Lori Gibbs about the size of the, the bobsleds and how women really didn't fill out the four-man sled, and they were getting tossed around. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe it's similar with the double sleds. People haven't built doubles sleds for women before, so they're not sized properly. And they can't use a men's size because they're going to be differently sized. You know, at this level of competition, you can't just borrow somebody's sled so easily. Um, maybe it has something to do with that. I don't know. And if there's a if there's no history of doubles, you have to work your way up to it over time. You know, first there has to be a world championship. You know, people have to be at that level right, in doubles. doubles. And maybe I'm just excusing a whole bunch of more Olympic sexism, but I I can see why they might do that because it's not like they're. They've kept women have been in luge, I think, as long as men have been in luge at the Olympic level. Oh, you are right. Um, they were actually introduced at the same time. Do you know what? Here's a good trivia question. Do you know what games luge first started? I think it was 64, wasn't you it? You are correct. 64 Innsbruck. I, I thought I read that in my research. Oh, the team relay is one man, one woman, one man, one woman, one doubles. Oh, I like that. Isn't that cool? Oh, I like that a lot. This is, okay, this is according to Kim Mc, Kimberly McRae, who um, is on the Canadian Luge team. She was fifth place in Sochi. So I don't know if she's still training, but she has a lovely description of uh, luge on her website so she said and we talked about because now they're having mixed curling right right so it's mixed doubles curling and i and i have a dream of mixed swimming and running relays that would be fun that but would be really not fun. Together. together i mean <laughs> that women and men in swimming would compete as a relay and, and right, right, right. But I I think I have a feeling speed skating is doing something along those lines. 
Yes, that's another sport that would be great for the mixed. I love the mixed relays. I think that's really, I think that's kind of the next step in women in sport, that we really are competing together. So, yeah, the team relay is a combination of one man, one woman, well, uh, one man, woman, one doubles, uh, compete together for one combined time. The women start, they get a full 30-second countdown. When she pulls off the handles and passes the first timing eye, the race begins. The men's sled will then sit down and prepare for the women to reach the bottom of the track. While the man sits there, the starter pulls two gates closed in front of him. When the woman hit, uh, reaches the finish, she hits a round pad that hangs over the track. This pad's linked to a set of gates that are closed in front of the man. So when she hits the pad, it opens a gate and he's got to pull a fast reaction start. So when he pulls out, the double oh. sled climbs in, and then the gates close again, and when he reaches the bottom, the he hits the pad and the gates open for... Oh, I think this is going to be really exciting to watch. Yeah. That's going to be... I hope they, they show that and not just truncate it. Yeah. Or at least that we can stream it or something, because that's exciting. All right, it is trivia time. Time for some luge trivia. Um, I have a different trivia question that I could ask you. You do? Yeah. yeah. Oh, far out. Hmm. Well, now the gauntlet is thrown. <laughs> well, why don't you go ahead and do your question and I'll... Okay, so since we talked to Shiva, uh, a... a first winter Olympian from India. The question is, when did India make its Olympic debut? Oh, uh, that's a good question. Um, is it recent, like within our lifetime? No. Okay, then I'm going to say, I'm going to say like 1912. Very close. 1900. Wow. Yeah. And this is interesting. The athlete was actually of English descent, well, he was British, He, but he lived and grew up in India. Okay. So he actually represented India, but he was actually British. Interesting. Yeah. And now I have to look and see what sport he did. Oh, uh, hurdles. Oh, that is, that's even more. Norman Pritchard. Okay. And he later became a silent film actor under the name Norman Trevor. Wow. I know. Craziness. Uh, for you. This may be one of the earliest instances of country shopping. Oh, that's a good. <laughs> that's an interesting point. No, the idea was, could he make it as a tracker for Great Britain? No. Oh, I'll represent India since that's where I grew up, even though he was in all essence, British. Right. And it's interesting how, because when in Shiva's background, he has an Italian mother and yes. he could have competed for Italy, but he chose not yes, to. They, as far as I know, they invited him to compete for Italy, the, the Italian Luge Federation. So for you, I'm going to do a luge question because luge is, luge is a sport that's dependent on gravity and um, you go very fast. It's one sport that's timed with uh, the timing is in thousands of a second. Every other sport does hundreds of a second when you're talking about timing. But 
the is it really the only one with thousandths i believe so that's great i mean what's a thousandth of a second it's not a very long time no but that's what they have to do because every everybody is so close in this sport which is it's just fascinating how well i would imagine maybe skeleton is also timed in thousandths of a second yeah what happens if you sneeze while you're going down you're gonna lose well, you're going to lose. Oh, stop. <laughs> Seriously, I, I wonder about things like that. Like, what happens if you sneeze? I bet you. Have you ever seen, have you ever seen an athlete competing in any sport and sneeze? Why don't you sneeze? So in luge, everybody's going very fast. So you want as even of a playing field as possible. That means your sleds have to be a certain weight, but also people have to be a certain weight. And they're actually allowed to add weight to make sure that all the athletes have a, a similar weight going on. But they have um, maximums on how much weight they can add onto their body. So I'm going to let you guess either for women and men have two different weights. So I will let you guess. And the men probably have more, right? Yes. Of course they do. So is it is it really ridiculously small, just like the thousands of a, th a second? No, it's no, like... I think it's it's substantial. So it's not like one. No, and this is in kilograms okay. too. So think this about in kilograms. Kilos. Okay, so let's go with a nice round number like ten. That is what the women are allowed to have added on, ten kilos, and the men can add on up to thirteen. Which could me just be me eating dinner. <laughs> I mean, seriously. You could eat a 13-kilo dinner. Come over for the Italian-American Christmas Eve. <laughs> there are seven fish involved, and if you don't think that's 13 kilos... Well, on that note, I think it's time to wrap up another episode of the show. So thank you, everybody, for listening, and we will catch you back here next week. Stay in touch. Email us at olymfever at gmail.com. That's O-L-Y-M-Fever at gmail. You can also leave us a voicemail at 530-763-3837. That's 530-70-FEVER. We're on Twitter at OlimFever, and you can join in the conversation at our Facebook group, Olympic Fever Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep the flame alive. Team Shiva. <laughs>